0: Hey guys and gals, Giles here jumping in to tell you about QScript. Well, they're a script analysis service who provide detailed constructive and professional reports on shorts features and tv scripts they work with both emerging talent aiming for a break in the industry as well as established writers looking to take their scripts and ideas to the next level they have experienced readers with a track record at honing scripts into the best and most appealing version for production companies and other partners and because you listen to the filmmakers podcast you get three months membership for free for a limited time so get there now qscripts.com link is in the show notes easy (laughs) qscripts.com check them out hello and welcome you lovely lot to episode 314 of the filmmakers podcast this is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films to TV to animation and everything in between.
1: What else is in between, Dom? There's not really, I was just, think, I was literally just thinking that the exact same <laughs> thought, there's nothing in between. <laughs> We've covered everything. <laughs> shenanigans. All right, there's shenanigans in between.
0: Shenanigans. <laughs> uh, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to make up a new film Genres. <laughs> exactly. In our very humble opinion, I'm Giles Alderson. And I'm Dom Lenoir. I'm a writer, director, and a producer. I am the same. I mean,
1: I'm not the same as Giles, but.
0: <laughs> That's weird, yes. But it's true. You're a writer, right. director, producer as well. And today on the show, we have the director, the writer, the producer, Sean Anders. Now, he is absolutely fantastic. This guest was. Amazing! This episode was amazing, wasn't it, Dom?
1: It was, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's mm. hard because we have so many good guests, uh, and and it's as, true. as they are generally filmmakers, they're they're always quite open and quite friendly. But you know, sometimes you have a thing, and it's like they come on, they give you their professional sort of vibe, and then at the end of it, it's like you know they're just going to jump out of there and, and get on with their lives. But but sure, you, you do sometimes get these guests where they come in and they're just they're interested in you, mm. um, and they 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 kind of talk to you like you're you're just just another person. In the industry, and it's it's really nice and refreshing. Uh, and Sean was like very much one of those uh, people. We had a nice chat after the the episode as well. Uh, so we did
0: yeah. as well, didn't we? Yeah, he was interested in what we were doing.
1: Shout out, he was a good good dude.
0: Yeah, really really nice guy. If you don't know, Sean uh, is the director writer of Never Been Thawed, the director writer of Sex Drive, a yeah. uh, writer of She's Out of My League, uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins, uh, We're the Millers, Dumb and Dumber Two, and he also. Directed and wrote uh, Horrible Bosses 2, Daddy's Home, Daddy's Home 2, Instant Family, starring Mark Wahlberger, Rose Byrne and Octavia Spencer. And the movie he's here to talk about today, it is spirited, it is out now on Apple TV. It does star Ryan Reynolds, Octavia Spencer and Will Ferrell. I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. This guy is a super talent. He's one of these that, you know, isn't a name director in terms of he isn't, you know, Spielberg, but boy, has he had a career. Wow, 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 wow. What did we chat about
1: Dom? We talked about putting together a quite big musical in terms of production and uh, people Mm. on set, how to double up your dancers and singers um, to save save quite an impressive amount of budget, actually, and I certainly didn't notice. Uh, we talked about acquiring an actor of a, the highest level, like Ryan Reynolds, when they're at a time when they're looking to do a certain kind of movie, uh, which he was, yes. uh, and he got him right yeah. for this.
0: And we really dive into his career. Obviously, he, he's got a huge back catalogue of movies. We could have talked about any of them, but time is against us, as always, with these podcasts. So we had, to, uh, we had to bring it back to Spirited because obviously we wanted to talk about that as well. And just a great guy, really, really loved talking with us you could tell he's, he loved helping filmmakers and you know that's what this podcast is all about helping you guys and gals go out there and make your films uh, and neat, sean is yeah. a perfect example of someone who's done that from the ground up literally making stuff on his own with other people holding the camera getting stuff done and now he is working at the highest levels of hollywood this episode with sean anders director of spirited is the last guest episode of 2022 next tuesday we have our christmas special Mm. with all the hosts while as many hosts were available and the christmas
1: quiz it was actually about six of us (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was quite a few quite a few coasts weren't there but a few coasts
0: weren't there yeah they were coasting away
1: somewhere coasting else, away, exactly, but they're, yeah. well, we're,
0: they're working or moving home so they couldn't be there sadly a
1: whole host of reasons
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we still had a brilliant time and a laugh so do join us for that next Tuesday it will be after you've had your Christmas turkey hopefully your vegan turkeys and it will be something you can enjoy between Christmas and the new year because we are going into the new year, it'd be the last one. So for 2023, no, last, we'll be back. Last year, special. <laughs> is this the end? Uh, yes, <laughs> this is the end. It's the end. It could be. Uh, what's your new year's resolution, Dom? Um. To do these intros earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we had this discussion. Yeah, that not not ten o'clock the night before ever again, which yes. is what it always is. Sorry, Tobias. Poor, long-suffering Tobias. But but yes. no, actual actual res- resolutions, filmmaking ones. Fil- yeah. filmmaking ones. Well, it, it's it is filmmaking, but it's not filmmaking. And I covered it on I, I cover it future tense on the next episode. But actually, just lowering coffee intake, lowering sugar intake, just eating a bit healthier actually is actually conducive to good creativity uh being sort of mm. wired and tired all the time because you're sort of on the filmic rat race isn't really the way to actually be productive uh, although it sort of feels like you are and it's, a, it's an easy habit to slip into so i think that's uh, that's my big one uh, and just yeah keep building good relationships with good people
0: yeah i love that i love that i'm going to spend a bit more time uh for me a bit more time working out what i want to do next and making sure the projects are right and uh made in the right ways so that's it yeah yeah go into production in the right frame of mind and sometimes you need that well-being and that uh, a mental break from it and that's what this Christmas break is going to be for me. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, actually. First time, you know, really going. I'm not worried about, oh, God, I've got to get that done. I've got to get that done. And that's a really nice place to be. So apologies for those who aren't in that place uh, and you're worried about everything. Let's try and have a bit of time for you. Try and get your mindset in the right place so you can attack it brilliantly in 2023. And you can let us know um, by emailing us thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com about what you're up to what you're doing or going on our Twitter page at filmmakerspod or what you're not doing, and what you want to help with. So, before we get to the episode, we have some filmmaking podcast news, don't we, Dom?
1: We do indeed. Uh, yes, we we've after working with Van Carpet, um, who cover most of the sort of the big events and, and all the indies as well.
0: Yeah, the big cinema releases, they're there interviewing major stars like Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Yeah, exactly,
1: and and, um, and Sean Anders. Exactly. So we we caught up with them at the, uh, the three day Millionaire premiere and um, decided that they used to have a, a podcast that they, they would sort of partner with. And they were keen to to reignite a, a relationship with that. So um we've done that, which is which is great because it gets gets the podcast out to new ears, basically, which is uh, fantastic.
0: which is, what this is about so again do tell your pals about this you know if you like it in any way say look listen to filmmakers podcast because you're into filmmaking there's going to be something you should get from this but yeah delighted to be joining forces with the fan carpet they they really know what they're doing uh they have so many great guests on as well so yes them along with nerdly uh and a few others now with collaborated with but yeah delighted with the fan carpet moving forward so do check them out the fan they're on youtube that's mainly where they're they're channels are. So you'll see Mm. some of the stuff from Three Day Millionaire as well, uh, which is still available on Sky.
1: Watch it over Christmas. Why not? Also watch When the Screaming Starts over Christmas. Yes, which is where, Dom, where can they watch it? Uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Sky Store, Rakuten, Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. And watch Phil's film as well, because that's a great, great one.
0: Please, Prance for Christmas Tales on Sky now. Watch them all over Christmas and let us know what you think. Support us in what we're doing uh, and we will support you back. Uh, So, shall we get to the episode with sean anders
1: let's do let's get into the spirited of it
0: very very good there this go. is myself juzzles and Dom chatting with director of spirited sean anders enjoy hello hello thank you for joining us yeah no worries appreciate your time a lot how are you doing good where are you guys we're in london Oh, nice! Just
2: freezing. Yeah, I'm in Colorado. It's it's not too bad here.
0: You know, we've looked at your career, and it, it's it's pretty incredible. It really is. It's one of those that you know so many people would love to have had. And your start, and then moving on to these incredible films, and you know, writing Dumb and Dumber Two, and then going straight into Horrible Bosses. You know, to write and direct. It must have been incredible. I suppose maybe just go back a little bit to the start. What made you want to be a filmmaker? Was was there a, was there a key moment for you?
2: I don't know if there was a key moment. I I always loved movies. And I had this kind of unique situation where my mom worked. She was a dental hygienist and she worked at this dental office that was about there was a mall a mile away and then a mall a mile the other way that both had movie theaters. So in the summertime, when there was nothing to do, I would go to work with my mom in the morning and walk to one mall and go, you know, pay for one movie, go see all, you know, go see like two movies that were playing there and have lunch, go walk to the other mall and see another movie or two. So I, I, I really, I, I loved going to see movies by myself. And I don't do it much anymore. But every time I do, I, I always think, "Why don't I do this more?" I love doing this, mm-hmm. and so I think that's where it started for me. But I think just where I came from, it never seemed like it's not like I was twelve years old going, "I want to be a director." It's, it's it was it, that would be like saying, like, you know, "I want to be an astronaut." It's like, well, mm-hmm. sure, but mm-hmm. you know, and it just didn't really seem possible. It wasn't until much later that actually and then the where it started to become more of an obsession for me was if you guys recall DVDs of at course. all <laughs>
0: Loved them. still got some above me
2: <laughs> when DVDs came out they started doing commentary tracks mm. and I became a commentary track junkie of just yep. listening to these filmmakers talk about their movies and that's what really really got me going wanting to do it but even then I didn't think like oh I'll be a director someday I thought man I want to Get a video camera and try this sometime you know
0: it's more mm. like that and what what was that first moment when you did it was ha- because that's the thing isn't it a lot of people say they want to be a filmmaker they want to be a director but what was that moment for you that where you went okay well i will go grab a video camera we'll go shoot something can you remember that moment
2: i can yeah i was doing a this is kind of funny so i i was a freelance graphic designer for a while and so I built websites and I, you know, would design a, a logo for, you know, a local taxidermist or something. And, uh, <laughs> I was not, I was not making, I was not making any money, but I was paying my rent just right. by, you know, creatively and then I'm drawing pictures of dead animals. Yep. Great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then I, I did get a video camera and I was doing some artwork for, this uh gosh this is a ridiculous thing to explain but i was doing this some artwork for this um gosh what is it it was was a scholarship program where they have a big banquet right and i was designing some artwork for this banquet and then the person who was putting it on knew that i was dabbling in video and said hey would you you know would you want to make some money and and make a video presentation for it. And I said, absolutely. So I talked them into, so I had to interview a bunch of high school football players, which here is not the same as it is there. Are
1: they the same as as represented or not on every American sort of comedy film or, or <laughs> drama? Yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I had to run around Phoenix uh doing videos of interviewing high school football players. And then I talked them into letting me uh, used use those players to shoot a couple of comedy skits for the presentation. And they they said, great. And I, I did these sketches and I had so much fun. I was completely obsessed, and it's all I cared about. And I was mm. putting way too much thought. In- these people got a really good deal. <laughs> because <laughs> you went-I treated it. <laughs> it like it was Citizen Kane. You know, yeah, I was like, I was, so, <laughs> I was
1: so into it.
2: And I just, I, that was when I knew, oh my God, this is all I want to do. I just want to do this every day
0: (laughs) yeah
1: you know that's 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 actually kind of similar to the Steven Spielberg uh, story like you know in the recent film where he's kind of filming the high school footballers and doing promos for them it's an interesting parallel there just if you wanna if you want to take that one for future press
2: (laughs) no yeah I really want to see that I've not seen it yet but that's that's really funny so many parallels with Spielberg yeah
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, straight to straight to hit after hit well saying that you did I mean you, you you maybe we mock that a little bit but look you know it, it never been thawed as your first film but then sex drive was a hit she's out of my league hot tub time machine mr popper's penguins do you know what i mean this is before you, d- you directed that's my boy and uh, hey that's i'd say that was a pretty decent spielberg hit rate you know in mm. terms of Everyone's heard of these movies, you know. How, how did you find that time? You know, when you're sort of, tr- in a way, trying to be a filmmaker, and you've you've gone from making these wonderful little promos, whatever you're doing, you know, to making your first feature, and then to bouncing into writing, you know. Was it always comedy?
1: Like, was that always the goal?
0: Yeah, it was.
2: It was definitely always comedy. And, you know, I just wanted to make a comedy and actually it's a pretty good story, how it sort of transitioned in because or sort of how, when when I say we, I'm always referring to me and John Morris, because John Morris is my writing and producing partner. And he's been with me since NBT. And we, uh, we made NBT, and that, like I said, that was just a pure let's just do this for fun with our friends hmm. and we didn't know what we were doing, and we 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 spent and instead of starting with a short, we started with a feature length mockumentary and with when we we made all the props and we you know we we just did everything, so it was the best education ever for you know and uh and it was so much fun but again no expectation that it was going to go anywhere or do anything and then we we rented out a theater to show the movie to all the people that were involved because over the course of like a year year and a half of making this movie we roped in so many different people along the way to help at different times so we packed a theater with people that were involved in the movie and And they loved it and it played really great, but I owe my career to the kids that were working at the popcorn counter that night because afterwards, um, some of them came up to me and they were like, that was hilarious. And apparently one of them had gone into the theater thinking it was going to be a piece of shit and wanted (laughs) basically went in to laugh, laugh at it. Sure. And then yeah. went back to his friends and said, "It's actually kind of funny. And then they started going in shifts to watch the movie. And then they, but they, so they didn't get to see the whole movie. So they said, how can we see it? And I said, well, you know what, I'll get you a DVD of it. And I, I burned him a DVD and then they showed it to some, one of their bosses. And then he got us into some little film festival there. And then he actually asked if he could put the movie up in this college theater in Phoenix. And we were like, Sure. Yeah, and please. then this little theater is normally does really bad numbers all summer because you know, there's no students in town. So once the students left, he just left it there and it literally played at this theater for like 4 months. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was Love the coolest thing. Yeah. And and anyway, that's where it, that's where it started. Um and there's there's so many more lucky breaks happenstance hard work just so many too much to explain but when i trace it all back if i have to put it to like one Point. I always sort of trace it back to those those people working at the popcorn counter. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think that's why that's why cinemas are so important because you know you don't know who's who's going to be there, who's an enthusiast, and and where it's going to go to. And like playing at these local places, even small film festivals, you don't know who might be a local to the festival and, and might see your movie, and then suddenly you're you're kind of rocketing away.
2: Yeah, and you know, the, here's the thing though: we didn't write a script to that movie because it was all improvised. It was all non actors and friends. So we just wrote outline. Lines of scenes and just said, you know, here's what we want to do roughly, and then we would just try things and whatever. So then once, so then we ended up getting an agent, and then we thought, oh, we better learn how to write a script. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how, how did you How did you get the agent though? Like, sorry, just to just to jump into that because that's a bit that people struggle with sometimes.
2: Well, I always just tell people, just you know, get an agent. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Uh, (laughs) I was brilliant. We were both like, oh my God, how are we going to get out of this?
2: (laughs) Well, in our case, that's another pretty good story. We got into this, there was a guy who had seen the movie who had produced a couple of movies in Hollywood and he thought it was funny. And he was on the board of this little film festival that doesn't exist anymore, that was in LA. And he kind of pulled some strings to get us into the festival i'm trying to make this the really short version because this is a long story (laughs) but uh then he said but you have to hire a publicist now we were all broke as shit like we didn't have any money you know so we had to figure out we had to kind of pool our resources and figure out how can we hire a publicist so we get this guy the guy I was trying to make this short. So the 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 producer calls me one day and he's like, What the hell did you do? And he's all angry with me. And I'm like, What? I didn't do any. What are you talking about? Well, it turns out that this publicist, we hadn't even hired him yet. We had just called him and told sent him our movie and said, Would you help us with this? Apparently, that guy called the festival and said, When is their like when is their screen time? When is their screen date? Mm-hmm. And the festival was like, We don't know. You know, they didn't care about our movie at all you know? And so the, the guy then called the head of the festival and yelled at him and said, you got to do your job. you know. Yeah. And then that guy called the producer and yelled at him and the producer called him and yelled at me and said, "Fire this guy. I said, I didn't even hire him. So I called the guy to tell him that we won't be needing his services and I get his answering machine. And I, so I just leave a message. Hey, give me a call. And before he calls me, the producer calls me back and he says, hey, did you fire that guy yet? And I said, no, I left him a message. And he said, well, don't because I checked him out and he's actually pretty legit. Mm. So if he's going to rep your movie, I said, well, you just said you got in all kinds of trouble for this. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> if you get some good press on the movie, everything will be forgiven. Mm. So we, we hired this guy and he could not get anybody to even look at the movie let alone okay. review it so yeah. we basically just wasted our money right. so then he, he calls me on my birthday when when it was really close to the festival and he's like hey i got a birthday present for you and he plays me a recording from a critic from the LA times the one place that watched the movie was the LA times the wow. biggest paper wow. in town oh god and and he loved it Great. and so then his his article came out about the festival, and it was a picture of us, and it was a big big thing about our movie and a couple blurbs about some other movies and then And then we got our screen time, and it was like seven p m on Saturday night. Wow <laughs> and Perfect. it was still just a very small festival, so we tried we tried to call agencies and get some people to come out, so we got one agent to come out and one agent's assistant to come out and see (laughs) the movie. The screening was really good. It was pretty well attended and it played big laughs played really well. So the, the both the agent no, the agent's assistant liked the movie a lot and said, I'm going to talk to my boss about it. The agent told me, you know, I'm not going to lie. I didn't love the movie. I feel like I'm a little old for it. It's not really my cup of tea but could you get me a DVD so I can show it to some of the younger people at the agency? Okay, sure. So then the, the boss of the guy who liked it just rejected it out of hand. (laughs) The other agent called and said, you know, I don't really get this movie, but all the young people in the agency love it. So do you guys want to come in for a meeting? So we went in for a meeting and we ended up signing at that which was a smaller boutique agency at the time but then they ended up getting swallowed up by a bigger agency so we sort of got into a bigger agency by default
0: (laughs) oh it's fantastic Uh, It's really amazing. (laughs) I love that. And that's never been thought, right? That's the first one you'd you'd ever even put out there, you know? And and you were in it as well, um, which I love. The fact that, you know, when you start off, you kind of, like you say, you do everything. And John was in it, John Morris as well. And that's great. How did that then lead on to Sex Drive? Was it now you with the agent? You know, because it's a big movie in terms of, it's a big budget.
2: Well, okay. So from there, again, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We didn't, we didn't know how to write a script. So John and I, started really throwing ourselves into it. And we just started dissecting movies and dissecting scripts. And we would outline everything and try to figure out what you know what makes these movies tick and how how is the how do they work structurally? And we really poured ourselves into that. And and then they would send us out, they, they call it the bottled water tour where you go out mm. and you just have general meetings with different people at studios and stuff. And it's awesome because you get to go to the 20th century Fox lot. And then you get to go to the Paramount lot and you have a meeting and then nobody bothers you. So you can walk around the back lot and just like gawk Mm -hmm. at all the cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was fun. uh, But then we we wrote a script that was very outlandish and we kind of had the same meeting over and over again. People would read the script and they would say, this script is really funny we will never make this movie but the script is really funny so we think you guys have talent or potential and then what they do when you're when you're kind of starting off studios all have these scripts that they've gotten in where they like the premise but they hate the script mm-hmm. and then they look for desperate writers who will <laughs> come in and basically like say here's how you could make that movie work. So you have to mm-hmm. do a bunch of free work and and it's called a take, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we would come up with these takes and we would have these meetings and we were pitching takes all the time and we couldn't get arrested. And <laughs> it got to the point where our our agency wasn't really calling us back that much and <laughs> things were kind of really and I I really thought it was going to be over really soon. And then um we wound up uh getting a meeting on and there was a book called called The Sex Drive mm-hmm. and we read the book and we it's not that we didn't it was like a YA kind of an edgy YA novel and we read it and we were like you know it's not really the movie we want to make but then the guy asked us well what would you want to make and we said well if we did it we'd want to do it more like this and he loved it right My- and then kind of we took it around. Oh, this is kind of funny. So we took it around. We pitched it to a bunch of different studios. Nobody bought it. But then Summit Pictures, who was making, they were brand new, but they were making the Twilight movies at the time. So right. they were turning into a bigger thing. Now they're merged with Lionsgate.
0: Yeah. the hairspray X-Men they've done enchanted. Yeah. They're they're massive now summit. Yes.
2: At the time they, they were only, they were only acquiring things. They weren't making anything. We were actually sex drive was the first thing that they made. Wow. And so they, they called us and we went in, we, they called us in for a meeting and well, actually, we had gotten, to, again, these stories are all so long, but we had gotten <laughs> an opportunity good. to make... We like a, long
1: anecdotes. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> we had gotten an opportunity to make a television pilot. So we had pitched this, the movie everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then we got an opportunity to make a TV pilot. We, we didn't really want to do TV. We wanted to make movies. That's what we were there for. But, you know, we also just wanted to work, you know? Sure. So we were working on this pilot, which was not really very much fun. And then we got a call like, four months after we pitched it from summit saying they wanted us to come in and pitch it again. Right. And we were so overwhelmed with work. I said, tell them that if they let us direct it, you know, we'll come in for a director meeting. Cause it was just a writer thing at that point. Right. And, uh, and so they said, okay, much to my surprise. So we went in <laughs> and we had a meeting with this great guy named Eric Feig, who's, who's really one of my favorite people in the business, just a genuinely good guy. And he was asking me about, you know, well, how do you visualize this movie? And I said, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and talk about color palettes and stuff because there's not even a script yet. And we'd have to start with the script and figure it out. I said, I will tell you this. I feel like most comedies are way over lit. And he practically jumps out of his chair and he goes, I agree. Because <laughs> it, it turned out I happened to just say his pet peeve right. uh, of comedy. Yeah. And he was like, great, you're hired. And we had a go. longer meeting than that. We talked about, but that, yes. I think that was the thing that put it over the top. But we still had to write the script. So we went mm. off and we wrote the script. And then again, much to our surprise, they got the script and they loved it and they wanted to make it. You no. know, and then it became, you know, and I think it was a twenty two million dollar budget, which to <clears> us at the time was like making Avatar. It was like, it, it are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: How do you even think about where to put that budget when you've when you've done sort of smaller stuff and and, and sort of scaling up the crew and, and thinking about cost? I mean, that must have been a huge shock um exciting shock but a shock
2: the good news is you don't really have to because you get a line producer and you get people that have done this a thousand times and they will and and here's what happens um no matter what the budget is if the budget is a hundred thousand dollars a million dollars 150 million dollars movies have an incredible way of always filling that budget and always needing more mm. <laughs> which we didn't know at the yeah. time because we thought we thought they're gonna they're gonna green light this at 10 or 12 million dollars tops and then they came across with like 20 i think it was 20 or 22 and we couldn't believe it we thought oh my god we've got all the money in the world to to, to make this movie yeah but what happens is it's almost like moving up a tax bracket the, the more budget that there is in the movie <laughs> the, you know, the more things tend to cost. And then now you've got, you've got more options of more things that you can do and you Mm. can have more interesting stunts and whatever, and all that stuff costs money. So it just immediately fills the bag. And then you're in, then you all of a sudden you're you have this $22 million budget, and then your line producer goes off and does a budget and comes back and says, We're four million over. And you're like,
0: <laughs> um, Yeah, like you oh. have to cut things. Yeah, you can't have the steady cam all those days you wanted. You go, oh, Hang on, why am I losing out? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying yeah. to make this
1: film the best I can. Do you, do you sometimes, do you, when, when you're dealing with a line producer like that, is it sometimes that you've got the right person for the right budget? Or is it, is it a challenge sometimes when you've got someone that's used to higher budgets that sort of, you know, like this situation where they, they're bringing it in higher than, than actually what you're kind of needing them to do, if that makes sense.
2: If you get a, you know, I've been really lucky. I've worked with really good line producers and what you want out of a line producer is you, you know, some people will say you want a line producer who works only for the director. I disagree with that. You definitely don't want a line producer who works only for the studio. And, and I've heard horror stories about that. But you want somebody who's working mostly for you, but somebody who's not afraid to tell you that you're being an idiot or that you're trying to get something that you're never going to get. Or you you want somebody who is going to really give you the pulse of the studio where... And you can tell because you can you, you make some outlandish ask. And a good line producer will say, okay, let me see if there's a way to make that happen. And they'll... And it's amazing to see them go to work and try to... And then sometimes they'll come back and they'll just say... I, they usually won't come back and say no. And that's another mark of a good line producer. They'll usually come back and say, look, you know, you asked me for this crazy thing. I love that you want to do it. <laughs> I talked to the studio. It's a, it's a big ticket item. The only way you can do it is if you're willing to live without X, Y, and Z, Mm. because it just is not going to fit into the budget, the timeline, whatever it is. So they'll usually come back and say, here's a solution to get what you want, but it's going to cost you. And then you're just making, you're just horse trading. You're just making decisions rather than somebody saying, no, you're a moron. You can't do that. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Yeah.
0: Oh, what's that? It's music in the middle of the podcast. It can only mean one thing. It's sponsorship time. We are delighted to be sponsored by QScripts. Scripts. Uh, it's a script analysis service. Annual membership package costs only £60 a year. It includes monthly webinar and Q&A sessions with industry professionals, including commissioned writers, producers, and directors. You get a discount on all services offered by QScripts Scripts and access to a 36-page quarterly industry magazine brimming with useful content, industry insights and interviews with writers, plus free entry into the monthly prize draw with the chance to win a free detailed script report. Check out qscripts.com, link for ease to make it easier for you so don't have to type it in is in the show notes, just scroll down, click on it, there it is, qscripts.com. Let's get on to Spirited, because I hope we have time to talk about That's My Boy, or, you know, how you wrote Where the Millers, Dumb and Dumb and Two, and directing Horrible Bosses 2. But let's get to Spirited for a bit, and then if we swing back round and it intertwines, then brilliant, because me and Dom love Spirited. I'm a big musical fan. I love musicals in film. I think they're fun and brilliant, and this is exactly that it's fun and brilliant and brash and amazing um, and while we're talking about that line producer thing now because uh you wrote this as well uh with your team and I- i'm just interested in you know when you wrote it and when you were thinking about that while we were talking about the line producer and looking at the budget was this something you know knowing how big it had to be and look. Was this something that was always in your mind about, okay, well, I'm going to need this big dance sequence here. Oh, and this one and this one and this one and this one. Was that always in your mind when you were thinking about the budget of this?
2: There's something that happens. I think I think George Lucas had this great quote where he said, you never make the movie you want to make. You make the best movie you can under the circumstances. Mm. And what what happens especially if you're going for big air which we were on this one the the intention from the very beginning for me was i wanted to do a big over-the-top throwback you know christmas extravaganza musical i didn't you know so i i had in mind from the beginning i want a lot of dancers i want a lot of lights i want big sets i want that kind of that classic hollywood just fun musical. Yeah. And 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 I'd never done a musical so I had no idea. You know, I don't know how much dancers cost. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I'm going I want 100
1: dancers and they're going uh um, take it easy. Yeah, mate.
2: Can you not double them up? <laughs> how much does
1: an elf cost? <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs>
2: know th- there was even talk I, you know because I I also I'm one of those people that it's not that I don't take no for an answer but if you tell me I can't do something, I'm always coming back and going, well, could we do it like this? Could
1: we? Mm-hmm. Solution finder.
2: So, so, you know, I had even suggested at one point, well, couldn't we shoot the same group of dancers three or four times and just composite them together and make it look mm-hmm. like we've got, mm-hmm. you know, and we've really went down that road for a while talking about doing that. And ultimately it just, it just was going to work out better where we had, we had like a core group of dancers And here's a really cool thing about the movie. We had this core group of, I want to say 28 dancers. It might've been 30, Um, but we had our core group and we use them like a Broadway chorus. They show up throughout the movie, even when they're not dancing, Mm. they're in the background. We auditioned a bunch of them and gave them lines for... So when you see a person that has one or two lines in the movie, often you can see, oh, that's a dancer who in Good Afternoon is you know, somebody from the 1800s and now it's a ghost <laughs> dancer over here. So we have these same, this family of dancers that repeats throughout the movie. And, um, so like I said, I was talking about maybe compositing those dancers, but it, it worked out better to have kind of three tiers of dancers that we had our dancer, our dance company that was with us the entire production. And by the way, another cool thing about this movie is that, you know, unfortunately co- the COVID lockdown, nobody was touring. none Mm -hmm. none of the broadway shows were up so we got we got this dream team of the best dancers in the country because no one was working so we Mm -hmm. got to put all these dancers to work which was great and then we also had like a second and third tier that, wasn't, that weren't with us the whole time, but when we wanted to go bigger, we could bring in these people and then bring in these people. And mm. I don't remember what your question was, but that's, I went off on a dancer tangent. <laughs> I love
0: it. <that.
1: laughs> how, how do you balance the amount of of, of musical numbers and, and dance numbers? Cause I, I'm not particularly like a musical guy. Like I like the odd musical, but I'm not sort of, I don't go my, out my way for one. I never felt like there was too much music. And when the music came in, it was it was really good and, and the drama kind of kept me interested. And then the set pieces were nicely balanced. How do you sort of decide what's the right amount of dancing and musical in a musical?
2: Well, we worked with Pasek and Paul, the songwriters. And in our first drafts of the script, we had just written sample lyrics into so that if you were just reading the script, it would say, it would just describe this musical number happens and and Here's what they're saying and the numbers so that you could read the script and get a sense of what's going on. And then we worked with those guys. And for the most part, most of the places where we had picked that a song would go for the most part, it stayed there, but there were a few, there were a few things that ended up getting adjusted where we worked with songwriters and they said, you know, it might be better to do a song here rather than there. And maybe this song could kind of, repeat or or reprise or reprise (laughs) you know throughout the movie and that kind of thing but what's really fun about it and the big takeaway that i had was i'm going to look at every script i ever write from now on like a musical because the nice thing about about that picking where the musical numbers go they usually go at at a key moment a key key emotional turn a key turn in the story whatever and then the song really has to be boiled down to just you know one or two pretty simple ideas and so it sort of forces you to go so because eventually we we cut out our lyrics out of the scripts and then we would just put a blurb in that would say you know a song here the main idea of the song is this it will also touch on this and here's what's generally going to happen during that number and it would literally just be this little paragraph in the middle of the script, which which is weird because you read these four lines that then turns into like, you know, five days of shooting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's incredible because you've you've written all, or at least story by credit, which as a director, you definitely have a hands-on approach to the script with all your projects, um, all your films, apart from the ones that you've produced. In terms of that, then, your writing process, and let's use Spirit as an example, how do you and John start? How do you break it down? Does an idea come? Do you bounce it backwards and forwards? Do you sit in a room together? How do you work together, especially on Spirited? Well, John and I,
2: I think the reason why we've been successful is that we've got got a really good writing dynamic. I'm not going to say we never, we've had some big fights. We definitely argue, but not a lot because our kind of rule of thumb is if one of us hates something, we're not, we're going to keep looking until we find something that we both like. Mm. So neither one of us ever have to just throw our hands up and say, fine, I hate that, but we'll do it anyway. We, so we trust each other in that way where, and and to answer your question, process wise, it's pretty funny. It's a, it's the most boring uninteresting process you can imagine. (laughs) It's just like two guys sitting in a room talking about whatever's going on in the news or politics or talking about our kids or our families or whatever, and trying to talk about the script and then usually what'll happen is you know john will show up and say I stopped at Burger King and this guy was doing this thing. And then I'll go, oh, you know, that's funny. What if in the movie and then it sparks something and then we start to talk about it, whatever. And then we are we're very big in outlining and index cards and and Mm. a lot. Usually we start with just a hodgepodge of random ideas. We know generally the story that we want to tell, but we have all these ideas. And we have too many ideas and we have them spread out all over the table And then we try to put them in some kind of an order and we basically just kind of keep crunching our way through it until it starts to take a shape. And then once it does take a shape, I go off and start writing the pages. So I do the actual type in pages Mm -hmm. and then John reads the pages. So he's always got fresh eyes and I always overwrite everything. So he's always kind of saying, I like this, but we don't need to say all this and we can cut that and Mm -hmm. whatever. And then, and then we just kind of keep working on it and we're both We're both pretty OCDs, so. We can't really bring ourselves to turn in drafts until we're feeling pretty good about them. It doesn't mean that those drafts are great. It just means that we at least feel good about them by the time we turn them in. And then, mm. and then you know, we read them again two weeks later, and then cringe and go, "Oh my god, look at all the stuff
0: we missed."
1: Yeah. Why did we <laughs> hand that in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a common mistake of of um, of filmmakers. Is they 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 get the draft done. They're like, "Right, let's send it out to everyone for feedback." And then people are sending them feedback on stuff that they probably already know that. There uh, that that is wrong i mean i i had a question so at what point in the in the, in the sort of writing and, and process of making this film did you think about the cast i mean like, let's let's talk about sort of will ferrell and ryan reynolds and how they got involved and 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 also sort of getting them involved in the musical side and how that training sort of came about as well
2: during one of those sessions where we were working on a different movie we were having we we're always having story just conversations about story and character and we're always talking about other movies other stories you know using for example we have this john and i have this shorthand where we go yeah you know the, you do the robocop thing and then you know and then you take the yellow brick road to the you know like to, you know so we're yeah. always kind of talking in this movie shorthand a bit sure. and um and then uh we so we were talking about a christmas carol one day and we were just having this discussion about you know the ghosts of a christmas carol are arguably the protagonists of that story because they're the ones with a mission. They're the ones trying to do something. Mm -hmm. And Scrooge is being sort of dragged around and having this big guilt trip laid on him. And then he's the character who changes, who has a character arc. And that led to a conversation about, Oh, I wonder if anybody's ever done a Christmas Carol from the other side. And then we started talking about all the work that must go into this creating this haunt of selecting the vignettes that you're going to show. And that it's, it must be a bit like a movie crew in a way that they have to recreate all this stuff. And, and it's, and they're putting on a show essentially. And it was a really fun conversation going, Oh, that's a really fun movie. And then, and then we got the idea of, well, who would be the Scrooge character? And we thought, well, you know, the world that we live in now, people being so divided and angry all the time about everything Seems to be not the key problem with the world, but definitely one of them. And we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if the ghosts are trying to change this guy, but they get what feels like a 24 hour news pundit, like a guy who no matter what you say, he's got an answer for everything. He justifies Mm -hmm. everything that he does. And not only that, but he's trying to turn it around on you and make it all about you. And then that led us to a conversation. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if our protagonist was actually one of the ghosts and it's more about this person's change than the other guy you know and then we had about that much <laughs> and i called will and will i had mentioned it to my manager who works with will's manager and will's manager had mentioned it to him we set up a call i called him i pitched it to him and he really liked it and and i think he thought i'm not sure about this but i think he thought i was pitching the scrooge character and i was like no actually this is the ghost of christmas present who's our our protagonist and he thought that was really interesting and different and then i said oh and did i mention that we're thinking of this as a musical
0: <laughs> as a, did, did jimmy tell you that and he was like no <laughs> but now i'm really keen <laughs> but, but, well, he kind
2: of was he was like huh but then he didn't hang up on me and then he was like okay <laughs> all right that's interesting and mm-hmm. And then and then I you know I told him too and I said look we you know we have a long way to go we haven't even written a script but we see this as like a proper musical not like a every song's a joke
1: kind yes. of musical
2: where yes. it would be where we and he was and what one thing that's great about one of the many things that's great about Will Ferrell is that he just loves to try different things like you know he made a lifetime movie which is like a TV movie of the week kind of thing that he did really just on a lark for fun, just to do it. And he did it completely straight. He did it as a complete non-comedy. He, he just takes (laughs) wild risks like that. So I think when he heard musical, he liked that idea, but I think he liked it even more. The challenge that he, he, might have to sing a couple of serious songs as well, mm. you know? And so anyway, so Will was okay. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm on board, Right. but we still had to write a script and we we started working on it some more and we started digging into the Clint character more. And we were trying to think, you know, we, we didn't want Clint to be a jerk. We didn't want him to do the standard Scrooge, rah, you know? So we, we wanted him to be slick and confident and, Cool and whatever. So we thought, oh, what about Ryan Reynolds? Can he sing? And then we looked on YouTube and we found out that he had, and Ryan also does crazy shit sometimes. So he had done the masked singer in South Korea to promote Deadpool 2. (laughs) And and I don't know how many episodes he was on. That's fantastic. We were like, okay, he can carry a tune. So Mm -hmm. we went and we pitched to his producing partner. George, and then George told us when we were leaving, he's like, "You guys, when Ryan left to go make this movie, he's doing. He left with three instructions: one, uh, find me a, uh, a Will Ferrell movie, find what? me a musical, <laughs> and find me a Christmas movie."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you were
0: like, "Ting, ting, ting." Did this Did yeah. this
1: all come out of Ryan Reynolds' mind, and you you somehow sort of intercepted it?
2: <laughs> yeah. So we had walked in with with all three, and then for Octavia, when we were when we were writing the script. Um, you know, Will is just such a universally loved person and he really is that guy. He really is a wonderful, sweet guy. And Octavia is the same way. And people just love her. And we had worked with Octavia on our last movie. And my, my main motivation coming out of the, out of instant family, when people would say, what do you want to do next? I would say literally anything that has Octavia Spencer in it. And so from our very first draft, we wrote Kimberly, Octavia Spencer. We wrote it right in the draft. Wow. So then then we I had called her and said would you ever consider doing a musical and she said well I'm not really a real singer, but I sing in the shower and I like to sing and you know, and she's decent. And she's got mm, her, yeah. lungs
0: on her great yeah, pipes. No, she yeah.
2: worked really hard and she, she blew us all away. So yeah. anyway, I, that, that's sort of how we got everyone involved and it was a very long process and,
0: right. Was the studio always behind it? Was it a kind of, you know, th- they were already there, you know, Apple TV are going, look, we'll do this if, or w- had you mo- gone around the houses? What's the, I suppose, what's the thinking of going, look, let's, let's do this. Starting enough tv well
2: okay so we had will ferrell and we mm, went to we, helps <laughs> we went to you know and, and the way that these things work is that actors get like attached to projects all the time that they don't ultimately do because they don't know there's not even a script yet they might say yes I, it basically means that they are interested in doing it if the script is good and they they like what they see um so but when you have that that actor attached that people want for their movies. It definitely, you know, lubricates the gears a bit, you know? So we had Will and we went to one studio and we said, look, we've got Will Farrell already. Basically like you can have this project if you want it. Like if you want to make a deal with us right now and we're looking at, you know, we need to go find out who our Clint Briggs is and whatever. And they, you know, we, we gave them the pitch over lunch and they said, well, let us know when you have a script. And then we, and then we went and got Ryan Reynolds attached before we had a script. <laughs> wow. And, and then, and then we wrote the script or no, sorry, we had Ryan Reynolds attached. Then we went around and pitched it everywhere, including that studio. And now we had, now we had Will and Ryan and we had a fully fleshed out pitch, just the story for the whole thing. And everybody wanted it. And, um, but it's interesting times right now where at least at that moment, the the streamers just have big, bigger budgets to offer, you know, mm. and this was going to be a big musical. Mm-hmm. I really wanted it to be in theaters because it was going to be a big musical. So when Apple came along, Apple had kind of said right from the jump, we would love to put it on screens and on our service And we were, we thought that was great. We also, I also really liked the idea of Apple because Apple was relatively new in the game. Mm -hmm. They were doing some pretty cool stuff Mm -hmm. and we knew that we would be more important to them because they really needed to distinguish themselves. So we knew we'd get the support from them and we did.
0: Mm, they've made some amazing, amazing shows. Uh, incredible, really. Great TV and yours is now part of that wonderful world. So congratulations on that. Do you
1: think it's harder now to make comedy than, than when you started out? I mean, I think there's less of those kind of movies like like some of the ones that that you've done around. And actually this, uh, this one spirited is, is you know, I, I was surprised by how much drama there was in it, and it was actually, it's quite touching, um, which was, you know, which was really nice to see. But I'm just sort of interested on how things have moved and and your take on comedy where it's at as a director
2: i i don't i mean comedy always changes and right now comedy is tricky because of all the sensitivity out there in the world that you know i know so many people young people that will (laughs) you know PAs that would come up on the set and tell me about some super edgy movie from the nineties that they watched. Mm. That to me is just a no brainer. It's like, yeah, of course, yeah, everybody's seen that one. But to them, <laughs> it was like, oh my god, I can't believe the things they were saying and doing in that movie. And you know, so comedies become really tricky. There's people are so obsessed with politics, and people are very easily offended now. Although I personally think that's mostly on the fringes. I think the people that are really that get up in arms about comedy are, are kind of a smaller segment. That's also just very loud. And then Mm. I think a lot of other people that aren't as bothered by it, that, that want to just relax and laugh, but they're afraid that they feel like, Ooh, I don't want to be judged for thinking this is funny or whatever, you know? And then of course, like all kinds of things have changed for the better in that way, where there were things that were being that, you know, that were kind of out of bounds comedically that 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 when you go back and you see some things you're like oh you know <laughs> that's pretty mm-hmm. dated or whatever so there's there's that but that now there's also there's just so much stuff out there now with the streamers and with youtube and with you know mm-hmm. but the biggest bummer for me is that when john and i were coming up in the business it was kind of right at the time that Judd Apatow's movies were really exploding and comedy was King at the movie theaters, the hangover and stuff like that. And so you would get, if you were lucky enough, you'd get the opportunity to make a a comedy that could be on 4,000 screens in the U S and what's cool about that is that comedy is just so much fun with 300 people together in a room, laughing together. And now you have to kind of make everything with the tv in mind which is fine but it's just a bummer that you don't have that raucous feeling uh, as much nowadays of being in the theater and just listening to the audience just roar with laughter
0: mm, yeah it does make a difference it, it really does and i suppose um finally then uh some advice uh if you can for directors out there and writers what what like something when you were at your lowest ebb that got you through or something that you wish you'd Done now that could help our writer directors listening
2: oh boy um well i mean look what i'm gonna say is trite and obvious because that because it's true is number one is don't don't wait around for somebody to give you a budget or whatever just make your movie you know mm. there's you you live in a time where you could where you've got <laughs> cameras on your phone that Rival, (laughs) you know, I mean, you could, you could make, you can do incredible things. I always, I always try to tell people don't, if you're making your, you, you know, your short film or whatever, don't shortchange the sound. The sound is, Mm -hmm. is just as important, if not more important than the picture, because especially with a smaller movie, with a little indie thing. People know, they they don't expect it to look like Jurassic Park. So, but if it sounds bad and they can't hear the dialogue or they're they're it's abrasive, it will make them not like the movies. So don't, you know, definitely don't shortchange the sound. And then, you know, be a student of movies and not just the ones that you're supposed to be a student of, you know, don't just watch the same movies that all the filmmakers talk about, you know, and if you see a shitty movie that you hate don't it, it, it this is just my opinion. I've met a lot of people that are just so quick to I feel like they're such spoiled viewers that they've seen so many amazing things that they see a movie that in an, an insane amount of work has been put into and they're just like, oh, that's shit. Mm-hmm. And they don't learn anything from it mm-hmm. when in reality, you can see a movie that's not your thing and you don't like it, and whatever. But you might see some amazing things that they did in that movie. And you might see something that all the other filmmakers aren't seeing because they're they're blowing it off as crap. Mm. And you and also you can learn a lot. From the mistakes that are made in movies where, I mean, how, how many times have you guys seen a movie where you've been like really, really drawn in and then they lose you in the third act and mm-hmm. you're just like, ah, what?
0: <laughs> you know, yeah.
2: and I think a lot of people will just throw away the whole movie and be like, oh, that was dog shit because they, and I think it's really, I think it's smarter to then take that and pick it apart and go, well, they had me until when? And then why did they lose me and what could they have done differently to kind of keep me involved? John and I did that so often where we would just pick apart some movie that was kind of in the ballpark of something we were working on. And we go, oh, okay, this is this sci-fi movie where they did this or that. And then we would talk for hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they would have done this or if they would have maybe... You know, they, they just, the, the that female character that was so interesting and they just let her go. And then when they brought her back, we didn't even know where she's been. And mm-hmm. we learned so much just dissecting
1: those things. I, I find it's often those, it's for me, that that's probably the, the main thing. The main thing is like when when there's like a comedy joke that's put in that's got no link to the character. So like the character's just saying it, but it doesn't feel like it's coming from that character. That's one. And the other one is when there's like an intuitive leap, like a character gets from A to C, but they, we haven't seen them do B. And those are, those are always the, mo- the moments uh, in movies where I sort of think, okay, that's that's the bit that's missing. And I think, you know, as exactly what you're saying, like when you watch films where it's, it is missing, you you learn when you're sort of reading scripts and you're seeing whether it's a good script or a good project, what it is that's missing um, and what the audience are going to miss when they're, when they're sort of watching it as well.
2: Absolutely. And then the other thing that I think a lot of people just don't think about enough is that they think of a movie as somebody wrote a script And they wrote a perfect blueprint and then everybody followed that blueprint to the letter. And then they made this movie. It's not how it works. You write a script, (laughs) you rewrite the script, you're changing it while you're shooting, you're discovering things that, everybody thought worked great on the page. You get it up on the day and just for whatever reason, it's not working. Then you're in the editorial process where you're having to cut things and you're having to, to co- make, you know, compromises. And I don't mean artistic compromises. I mean, like, for example, in spirited, we are, we were always struggling with the length of the movie because it's a musical. So you have songs and that really mm-hmm. adds to the length. And, and, you have, um, and you, and we were trying to do almost two movies at once because it's presence story, but we're doing it over the, you know, over the template of a, of a Christmas Carol. Mm. So you need to be telling that story. And, and we were juggling a lot of different things. And so you get into editorial and you're, and you're thinking, wow, the audience really likes this moment, but we can tell that it's, it's, it's hurting the pacing. And so you try it without and the audience doesn't know that it was never there or that they don't know that it was ever there Mm -hmm. and you can feel, Oh God, I hate losing that beat, but boy, now act one is really, you know, going a lot smoother. So when you see a finished film, you're seeing all kinds of choices like that have been made throughout and they're not always, it's not that you don't always have, Oh, here's two great choices and let's make one or the other. Sometimes you got to give up something to get something else. In fact, you have to do it all the time. So It's important when you watch movies to also acknowledge that and understand that to learn from those as well, that you're going to make this best laid plan of a script and then things are going to change as as you go on. So you have to think in terms of adaptability and how you get get through, you know, Um, and I I don't I know that as I'm saying that I don't mean to make it sound like it's just this endless list of bad compromises because it absolutely isn't. But it gets back to that George Lucas quote. It's like certain things you wanted to do in the script and you don't have the budget for it. Sometimes an actor... Doesn't see it the same way and doesn't want to do it like that. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes you do it, you put it in front of an audience and it just doesn't work for them. And everybody mm. involved is can't believe it. They're like, Oh my God, on the day that was so great. We it's all loved hilarious. it. We thought this yeah. was a slam dunk, you know? So, so that's, that's a big part of it. So it's not just about dissecting how to write the perfect script. It's also thinking ahead in terms of all these ideas that you have, they're not all going to work or some of, and some things that you think aren't great ideas are going to work amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I feel like I just went on a big rant, but no, we loved it.
0: <laughs> we loved it. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. We've, we've really enjoyed this chat. Honestly, you're a fantastic filmmaker, writer spirited is incredible. It's a brilliant movie. I really enjoyed it. A yeah, lot.
1: No, it was really funny. And, and it was, it was really interesting listening to such, so, some of the, the very unusual routes that you've kind of gone into stuff and, and the anecdotes were very uh, very rich so uh, yeah okay. thanks for that advice
0: <laughs> so thank you so much
2: thanks fellas I really appreciate it and good luck with everything no thanks
0: you Sean thank you Sean honestly you've made an amazing film every Christmas now I really hope this does as well it really should I loved it so yeah c- congratulations to you thanks guys and all the best for the next one cheers Sean take care bye-bye bye-bye The Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure
1: that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon.